This is Making Shift Happen, and I'm your host, Jen Cates. Over the years, I've coached hundreds of clients to find their ideal self through the way they nourish their bodies and minds, and now I'm here to help pass on these same strategies to you. So let's stop the madness and get your results once and for all. Let's go. Hello, friend. Thank you for joining me for yet another episode. I can't believe we're well over 100 episodes in and Man, I just keep having more and more fun with this every week. Thank you, thank you. I am endlessly grateful for you showing up and listening to most, if not all, of the episodes. I appreciate you. Um, I just want to give you a little high five. I also wanted to give a high five to one of my listeners, Nicole. Uh, she actually recommended that I talk about this very topic that we're discussing today, and that is how to get started in mountain biking. I mean, you know, it's such a simple concept, but yet when I think about it, often um, quite a few of you actually are relatively new to mountain biking as a sport, as a fun hobby, as whatever it is for you personally. And when I got to thinking about it and she made this request when I was asking for recent topics, you know, I was like, God, why, why the hell haven't I talked about this yet? So thank you, Nicole. I appreciate you. And I'm also looking forward to getting started with you. Um, okay, so let's dive in. So first of all, I am so damn excited to hear that a lot of you are interested in trying mountain biking or maybe just going all in with the sport in particular, you know, because to me, mountain biking is so much fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love gravel cycling, but there is just something about mountain biking, you know, just the the technical terrain and just having a bike with suspension that you can play around with and, and just be playful with on the trail more than you can really with a gravel, a gravel bike. And, you know, there's just, it's just exhilarating. There's so much fun. You know, for me, I picked up mountain biking. If you know this already, I apologize, but I picked it up in college, you know, from someone that I was dating. Uh, they were also a mountain biking coach at the time. And I'm, Honestly, I'm really grateful for that X. You know, let me tell you. Uh, this sport, and it's because that this sport has brought me closer to so many people in my life because of the shared experience of, I don't know, grinding up a climb together and experiencing a gnarly trail together and and maybe doing, you know, something you haven't done before on the bike together. There's something that's very bonding and almost very primitive about mountain biking just because it's a shared experience. And I've also met such amazing and awesome humans on, you know, my two wheels and, and also others who are on two, three and four wheels, you know, and, and Hey, I'm going to use this time to say that we got to make more of our trails more accessible to those, not only on two wheels, you know, to those adaptive athletes that are on those trikes and four wheels or quad wheel uh, bikes. I think it's incredibly important. I don't really want to shed some light on that just for a moment because you know, riding with friends of mine who are on trikes or are on quad wheels uh, because of various, you know, spinal cord injuries or something like that, it really opens up your eyes to just how much space we're lacking on some of our trail systems. Even if we could just add another, you know, two to three inches to the trails, that would be fantastic. And it would open up the trails to that many more people. So just going to go ahead and put the bug in there. And I'm going to step down from my soapbox now. But, you know, Getting into a sport that's new to you can be intimidating, you know, it can be really, really scary. And today's episode is to help it be 
much less intimidating and hopefully much less scary. You'll see. <laughs> All right. So to, to kind of, uh, you know, organize this episode out a little bit more for you all, there are three areas that are main focal points for you when it comes to getting into mountain biking. It's your gear and equipment, learning the necessary skills, and finding a community. I really think if you can have those three things, generally speaking, you can get started in the sport so much more quickly. Okay, so let's guide, let's dive in. All right, the first section here, gear and equipment. So of course, this can be as simple or as you know complex as you want it to be. There are basically two things that you absolutely need, and that's a bike <laughs> and also a helmet. Please wear a helmet. Please, 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 please. The bike should be in safe and working condition. I'm going to go ahead and plug that. You know, please have it checked out. If it's a bike that, you know, you're like, oh, I haven't ridden in, in like 20 years. Chances are it might need, might need new cables, uh, might need new brakes, might need some new tires, might, might just need a few things just for safety. But please, most importantly, check your tires and your brakes, Okay. You know, if, if it turns into a single speed because your shifter blows out, that's not the end of the world. You might have to be, you might be walking your bike a little bit more, but if you have a tire issue, wheel issue, or a brake issue, that could be, you know, I hate to use this word, it could be catastrophic, it could cause injury. So please have your bike checked out, have a mechanic look at it beforehand. Please know they can usually do a safety check. That is generally speaking at most bike shops, it is actually no cost to you. Because it's it's kind of like when you take your car into the mechanics. They do a once-over and then they let you know what is wrong with it and what you might need to, to have more attention to than other things. And it's the same thing with a bike shop, all right? Um, please, though, have a mechanic look at it beforehand. And your helmet ideally should be new or at least slightly used and never crashed in. You know, and ideally, for your safety, it should be less than three years old. You know, if it's older than three to five years old, then it it needs to go ahead and be replaced. And please know there are helmets that range in a variety of prices, so you can find one in your price point. But please also know, helmets are the one area that folks do try to save money. But my argument, and of course this is my opinion, but it is also based on just having countless athletes suffer concussions and head injuries and things like that. Please know. You're putting, you're putting a price tag, you're putting a value on your brain when you buy a helmet. So choose accordingly, okay? Um, but ideally, you will want to look for a good quality helmet at your local bike shop or what have you and make sure it fits, make sure it doesn't wiggle around. You can tighten it on your head and it doesn't really wiggle around. You, can, you, know, you don't have a, a whole lot of gaps or anything like that and it's comfortable for you. But also try to find a helmet that has MIPS protection built into it. When I say MIPS, that is M-I-P-S. So look for that. And the reason for that is because it can also help prevent concussions and serious head trauma should you take a spill. And honestly, you know, again, not to fear monger or scare you, but it's not a matter of if you're going to crash, but more of a matter of when, because there is going to be that tumble, you know, you're getting used to the bike, you're getting used to just the sport itself and getting used to how your body, you know, moves on that bike. And I think the the more you realize that, hey, it's just going to be an if versus when type of thing or when versus if, you know, the more you're just going to be open to it and not necessarily scared to crash, right? When you crash, it, it, it's a learning experience. Think of it that way. Even if it is a little painful, uh, you're, you're donating your blood to the trail system here. <laughs> All right. Another thing is, 
And this is, of course, for your safety and performance. Um, you know, safety Sally here. You should have some sort of hydration with you, whether that's with a water bottle that's on a bottle cage on your bike, if it fits, or on a hydration pack that's on you personally. Now, hydration packs, they come in basically two different models. They come in a hydration type of backpack that goes on your back. And then there's also those cool fanny packs. Yeah, they look cool. They're back in style. Um, now the, depending on which one you get, honestly, that all just depends on your personal preference, what you're comfortable with. And it could also be dependent upon how long you plan to be out riding. So generally speaking, the longer you're going to be out riding, the more water you should have, you know, ideally at least 20 ounces for every hour that you're going to be on the bike. That's at a good minimum. You know, if you're breathing heavy, if it's cold out, it's dry, if you're in a dry climate, uh, or if it's even humid, because then you're going to be sweating more, you're going to need a little bit more than that. But ideally, like that's a good minimum, uh, just in terms of safety and things like that. So have some sort of hydration on you. Um, other than that, you know, the rest of this is pretty much optional. You know, I hate to say that, but if you're just wanting to get started and kind of play around with the sport and see if it's even for you, those were those were the bare minimums that you need. All right. Other than that, though, you need a pair of preferably flat and stiff soled shoes that have a smoother bottom on the outer sole. You know, things like Nike Metcons and and certain certain athletic shoes can work well, as can some hiking shoes. But please be careful, you know, because sometimes hiking shoes and some running shoes can have a lot of flex in the shoes and in in the sole. So it's not going to be stiff soled, you know. And and hiking shoes sometimes just can't grip pedals very well you know uh, whether it's flat pedals or, or whatever type of pedal you're in it just sometimes doesn't grip it and that's why like a flatter bottom is going to be really beneficial sometimes I've seen riders wear vans and converse shoes and those are also fairly they work fairly well you know especially to get started but they can flex a fair amount so please be careful and the reason for that is because it's your pedals your feet to your pedals are a contact point on the bike and, you know, in addition to your, your butt, you know, where the saddle is, as well as your hands. So those are the main contact points that you have on the bike. And you want those contact points to be comfortable. And you want them to be safe. And the flatter the shoe and the stiffer the shoe, the better you're going to have some traction to the pedal. And the better your ankles and feet will be protected should you take a spill or should you need to plant your foot on the trail. Because a lot of folks can turn their ankle, especially if the if the shoe flexes too much, uh, they can cause you know some sort of sprain or you know, possibly even like a little foot fracture. Again, I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm just kind of stating the reality of the importance of having a stiffer stiffer soled shoe. You know, sometimes Vans and Cons just don't have that durability factor when it comes to a, a, a nice shoe bottom or sole. And that's why I'm such a fan of like Nike Metcons and blah, blah, blah. The bonus is Nike Metcons make excellent, and I mean excellent, workout shoes in the gym. They're fantastic. Personally, it's what I wear. It's what I've worn for the last like five years or so. Um, You know, they are going to be more expensive, but you can also find last year's model for like, you know, 70 bucks. And you just kind of have to seek them out. Now, you can also buy mountain biking specific shoes. You know, personally, I ride ride concept as a brand when I'm using flats. I am going to also get Ride Concept as some clip-in shoes, you know, when, because I, I do want to uh, transition back into clip 
clip, <laughs> clip in shoes or clipless, whatever the hell you want to call them, clipless pedals, just because I'm, I do miss it. I miss the power when it comes to climbing and all of this other stuff. That's a whole other topic for a different day. You know, that whole argument of flats versus clips. Um, but you know, I'm a big fan of Ride Concept. I think that they're incredibly comfortable. There are also other companies out there. You know, Adidas has the 510 series or line in their shoes, uh, which is also very comfortable. And, you know, it's it's just worth exploring. You know, Pearl Izumi makes some shoes, Giro, I mean, whatever, Giro. Uh, there are countless numbers of shoes and, and companies out there. Again, go to your local bike shop, check to see what they have, and see if... Um, you have maybe possibly a mountain biking festival. I know Sedona Mountain Biking Festival is going on the weekend before this episode is being released. So uh, that, you know, happens in Sedona every every spring, sometimes every fall, but usually every spring. That's a fantastic way to see vendors and meet vendors and try things on and demo bikes and get a really good taste of a variety of different things. Another way to do this is to go to Rome events. If you're a female or identify as female or comfortable in a female dominant space, great. Go to Rome events, check them out. They're going to have uh, an event in Sedona, Fruta, and oh my goodness, Knoxville. I almost said Nashville. Uh, my friend would have killed me for saying that, but they're going to have those events and they also have some demo events throughout the year. So check their calendar, add yourself to their, you know, add a sp- subscription to their email list. They don't email obnoxiously and they are such a rad group of humans but again that's a great way to check vendors and demo bikes and demo other things just because it's it's just nice to meet other people who who use a variety of different tools and equipment because then it gets you exposed to kind of what you like and what you don't like all right but next thing for protection would be gloves Uh, You know, you want to protect your hands if you happen to crash since they can get really scratched up because generally speaking, we always reach out for our hands. It's just, it's a hard habit to break. um, And sometimes that can cause the palm of your hand to be a little scratched up. So personally, you know, I really suggest, especially as a coach, full finger gloves are highly preferred for mountain biking, but it's up to you and your comfort level. You know, I personally, I'm a fan of hand up gloves. I think that they're comfortable. They fit my hand because I have the tiniest freaking hands. Um, they're just really comfortable. They have really good features and they last a long time. They are one of the gloves that I've owned out of the 20 years plus that I've been riding, mountain bike, road, whatever. Hand up gloves last a long time, you know? And the kicker here is they're based out of Asheville, North Carolina, which is fantastic. Uh, you know, having been a North Carolinian for years, I have a soft spot for that area. And their quality is just really good. And yeah, you can't beat it. They, they employ local folks and I just, I love them. Again, check out Hand Up Gloves, but you know, choose choose whatever is comfortable for you. Again, um, plus I also kind of like Hand Up Gloves because let's be honest, like they're fun. They have really fun designs and I don't know, they're funny. Uh, they just have good personality about them. Now, another thing that you might need for protection are is some sort of eyewear or eye protection. You know, it's it's dusty when we mountain bike. And if you have eyeballs, which generally you do, and especially if you wear contact lenses, it is best to protect your eyes. You know, it's also just best and good practice to wear some sort of sunglasses <laughs> when you're outside in the sun. Please, please, for your eye health. Um, gooder, G-O-O-D-R, 
they're a great polarized brand that's also very affordable. They're usually like $20 to $40 a pair, which is awesome. But also Smith Optics, Oakley, and a variety of other brands make amazing frames and lenses that help protect your eyes from, again, the UV rays, the dirt, and also possible impact to your eyes, you know, so please be careful. Now, if you do eventually get into using a full face helmet, so a helmet that has a chin bar and covers your whole helmet or covers your most of your face, uh, hence the name, full face, then you're going to want to wear goggles. Please, please don't wear sunglasses with a full face helmet. And the reason for that is because of safety. You know, if you do have some sort of impact, which you might potentially be uh, more inclined to have an impact of the face and of the head if you're wearing a full face helmet, just because of the nature of, of what you're doing, if it's downhill, if it's going to the bike park, things like that, chances are you could skid on your face. And when that happens, you know, sometimes sunglasses cannot withstand the impact, especially when they're inside of a full face helmet. So please check out some, you know, Smith Optics or another brand. I think Oakley also makes them as well. Some sort of like, they look like ski goggles and they go on over top of your full face helmet. And, you know, that is one thing, again, safety is incredibly important and I've seen it happen as a mountain biking coach. People will wear sunglasses while wearing a full face helmet and it is just not ideal. Now, Unfortunately, if you do wear glasses that are prescription glasses and maybe you don't have contact lenses, then yeah, that could be an issue because maybe you do feel like, hey, Jen, I have to wear my prescription sunglasses with my full face helmet. I totally get that. And it's going to suck when I say that you can also get your goggles in prescription lenses as well. So there are inserts that you can get installed into certain prescription friendly ski goggles or mountain biking goggles. So check them out, please. I'm, I'm, I'm only saying this because I've seen injuries happen on the trail and, and I want you to be as safe as possible. And again, I know this is just when you get into full face helmet wearing and things like that, but you know, you, you want to be as safe as you can, especially with your eyes and, and protecting those eyes. Okay. Now, when it comes to comfort, you know, because I've talked plenty about safety and things like that, and hopefully I haven't scared the living shit out of you uh, when it comes to mountain biking, because believe me, it's a fun sport, you know, and, and yes, I've had some gnarly crashes and things like that, but hey, you bounce back up and you kind of learn how to, to handle things afterwards. Um, so, and sometimes maybe you don't bounce back up, but you know, that's fine. Again, I'm, I'm now I'm worried that I'm scaring you, but please don't be scared. This is a fun sport and the adrenaline makes it even better. All right. Now, another thing is comfort, all right? So besides safety is comfort, and I really do recommend that you wear some sort of moisture-wicking clothing, ideally. You know, like a shirt, tank top, whatever, shorts. Problem with tank top is it's just that's going to be more skin exposed. If you are new and you maybe take a tumble, because, uh, yeah, it can, you can get a little scratched up and things like that. So the reason I say moisture-wicking clothing is because generally cotton clothing, it's fantastic. We all usually have access to that. Um, but cotton clothing can get really soaked in sweat and it can cause just you to, you to feel uncomfortable. It can prevent you from staying cool because then you have sweaty clothing on top of you and it's not really cooling you. It's making you feel warmer actually. Um, but you know, the other reason is, is because it can just cause chafing (laughs) and the kind of chafing that is not going to be in very comfortable places, you know, like kind of your, your nether, nether bits and your, your butts. And it's just not comfortable and it can cause some irritation, can cause some rash 
and um, then you're not able to ride the next day or later that week. And and that's ultimately what I'm trying to prevent um, for you by talking about some of these things because I want you to feel comfortable and I want you to keep showing up for those bike rides week after week, okay? Now, you know, clothing can get a little bit expensive uh, because generally speaking, these clothes for mountain biking are built to last. They're built to be resilient, especially with dirt abrasion and things like that. And, and just, you know, mountain biking is a dirty sport. So you get dirt on your clothing anyways. You know, you, sometimes you get a little bit of mud and you'll get rained on, things like that. But, you know, please know there are a variety of clothing companies out there that fit all kinds of bodies. You know, like Shredley, for example. I think Shredley is a fantastic brand. And there's also countless other brands. There's Wild Rye. There's Darko. There's Troy Lee Designs. There's uh, Perlozumi. Giro. There's, oh my goodness, there's so many. Like, I can't even think of them. For me, you know, I know I wear mostly Shredley, Gore, Yeti. Um, what else do I wear? Sometimes, occasionally, some Troy Lee Designs. Uh, you know, in fact, my full face helmet is a Troy Lee design stage helmet. And I freaking love that. I actually love that helmet more than my half shell helmet. And when I say half shell helmet, if you're new to this verbiage, that just means a non full face helmet. So it's literally, you know, the type of helmet that just sits on the top of your head, all right? Protects the necessary bits, just not your face. Um, now for my half shell helmet, I do wear Smith, but again, please know helmets are preferential on fit. They have to fit your head and they have to be comfortable, okay? So I've tried other brands and unfortunately they just don't fit my head, you know, even though I thought they were really cool, like Pock and um, Specialized makes some great brand uh, or some great helmets as well. But, you know, I digress. Just as many helmets as there are out there, there are clothing companies, if not more. And I think it's just going to be a matter of finding the type of clothing that's comfortable for you. And I know that there are many companies out there who are really trying to expand sizing and be more, uh, you know, accessible for folks of all different sizes. You know, for me, like I'm very, very short. Uh, so I actually have a hard time finding clothing that's not like, doesn't make me look like I'm like eight <laughs> years old, uh, you know, wearing like oversized women's clothing. So, you know, Shredley works really well for me now. Uh, it actually, like, it doesn't sag off of me. It doesn't look, you know... I don't know, droopy. I don't know how else to say it. And the reason I'm saying that is because sometimes those droopy shorts can catch on my saddle and it's frustrating AF and it's also unsafe. So again, find some clothing that fits you. Um, Then also there's knee and elbow protection. You know, some light sort of pads could help make you feel more confident as you learn the skills needed for riding tougher terrain and just riding in general. You know, I think knee pads, there's nothing wrong with getting some knee pads. I personally wear them um, on not all trails, but a lot of trails that I'm just going to be a little bit more aggressive on. So it's just, it's nice to have them, you know, especially if there's a little bit more rocks and things like that that I'm riding over. Um, Now, Keep in mind, some of these things can add up and cost a fair amount to get started and invest in. And, you know, you'll be, you'll also be amazed at how many folks donate their gently used bike gear to local organizations and your local trail groups, um, things like that. Some of these local organizations and local trail groups can also host a bike gear swap every season, usually in the spring, you know, usually in the kickoff of the season or so. I know our local chapter here in the Denver area, Comba, which is uh, the Colorado Mountain Biking Association. I am a part of them. 
and a member and I do work with them, but I know that they host a, a springtime gear swap, you know, and, and I know of countless other local groups here just in the Denver area that do the same. So please check out your local area. Now that kind of goes into the next two parts. All right. That whole concept of like finding things in your local community. And the second part is, you know, first part is obviously having the essential gear and equipment to get started. And then the second part is to learn the skills and how to on the bike. I cannot recommend attending a clinic. I I just can't recommend it enough. You know, attend an in-person clinic. An in-person clinic will have you learn exponentially. You know, I am associated with Vita MTB series, but seriously, check out Vita MTB series, Ladies All Ride, Ninja Mountain Bike Academy. I mean, there are so many groups nationwide. Again, just look up Mountain Biking Clinic and, you know, see what's in your area and what is travel friendly for you and cost effective for you. Some of these clinics can be just one day long, which is going to be, of course, more cost effective if cost is a, a, a hurdle for you. Some of them also do offer scholarships. And, you know, I think it's worth checking out to see what they offer, especially if you are a BIPOC or queer individual. You know, sometimes they are trying to cater to folks who are a little bit underserved or underrepresented in the community. So check them out, you know, check out uh, any type of clinics. Two-day clinics or three-day clinics are going to be a little bit more rare, but they're going to be worth it because the two-day clinics, especially the first day, you're doing a lot of skills and drills and on-the-bike practice. And then the second day, you're really taking it out on the trail instead of compressing them, all of that into one day. So that's going to be the main difference between one and two days. It's just two days is going to give you a lot more time and a lot more practice on the, on the trail. And the mountain biking coach, I can say from personal experience as a coach and a clinic attendee, that mountain biking coach is going to have more time looking at you ride, giving you feedback on your riding skills, giving you direct one-on-one feedback on things that you can improve upon and things that you might be able to do as uh, you know, a rider outside of the clinic. So as homework, I'm, I'm notorious for doing that with my clinic attendees, you know, like, Hey, really recommend that you work on track stand, you know, like that's going to be your first skill, blah, blah, blah. Just depending on what their weaknesses might be. Now, you know, I already mentioned a few in-person clinics, uh, and please know those are not, that is not an all-inclusive list. There are so many people around the, around the nation and around the world that offer clinics in person, but please check it out. Now, if you think that you can learn online in an online learning community or environment, and you, you feel like you can learn really well that way, great. I think you should check out some online coaches, you know? I don't have anything built out personally uh, for my clientele yet. I actually am not quite sure if I want to go down that or not. Um, been talking with some other coaches and maybe thinking about collaborating and things like that. But there are online resources that do have phenomenal training programs. I really recommend uh, you know coaches like Joanna Yates based out of Sedona. You don't even have to live in Sedona. You can attend her online clinic. You know It's like a month-long skills group. And I highly recommend it. I've gone through it personally and I can't say enough. First of all, I can't say enough good things about Joanna. Joanna's just a rad human being and she's a really amazing coach. 
and gives the best hugs too, by the way. Uh, shout out to you, Joanna. Miss you. Um, there's Joanna Yates. There's Stephanie McDaniel, who's also in Arizona. Must be something in the water down in Arizona. Uh, Steph's also really amazing, as well as, um, gosh, there's folks like Ryan Leach and other folks who do offer online training portals. And I will add their IG or Instagram handles to the show notes if you do want to check them out and just learn more. But definitely recommend, you know, reaching out to one of them, seeing what they're offering here in the near future, okay? But here's the catch. So I've talked about attending a clinic and doing some online learning and things like that. But don't just only attend clinics and do the online sessions. You need to actually put in the practice. You know, aim for practicing skills in a parking lot or a grassy field if that's more comfortable for you or at a local, you know, jump park or mountain bike park or something like that. Do that at least, at least once a week for a minimum of 10 to 15 minutes. And that is a minimum. Ideally, aiming for a few minutes each day would be amazing. And you will see literally exponential growth and change in your abilities and in your skills if you invest a little bit of time every day. And you will notice that, especially if you do join, you know, someone like Joanna Yates's online program, because in those 30 days, you can see such a huge improvement in your skills. And I can't say that enough. It's kind of like for, for me, you know, with my clients, you know, I can coach people on nutrition all day long you know, nutrition and health coaching tips and, and, and whatnot. That's, that's how I'm trained. It's one of my, that's my expertise. It's what I started my business on. However, if folks aren't willing to put in those daily little habits and kind of improve things on a weekly basis, then unfortunately they're going to kind of feel like they're spinning the wheels or if they feel like their life is getting out of control and just life gets lifey and they're overwhelmed, which I get it, that totally happens, but then they abandon everything then it's, it's just not going to work. It's just not going to happen. They're not going to see changes. However, same thing can be applied to mountain biking. So if you're not putting in the skill work, you're just not going to see the changes and you're not going to see the growth. All right. So third thing that you need when you're getting started in mountain biking, some sort of community. Community is crucial. As a human being, we need community. We need friendships. We need bonding, you know, and you can find a community at the clinics that I just mentioned, even on the online portals. Like sometimes you'd be amazed at your ability to find people in your area, but you can also find them through your local trail groups. You know, any type of trail building groups that you have locally, they're usually a great resource for having some sort of, you know, community rides or something like that. I know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, here in the Denver metro area, we have Comba, Colorado Mountain Biking Association. Uh, that's our local trail building group. They do phenomenal work. They actually just broke away from IMBA and I am personally very, uh, stoked on that. And I think that they're going to be doing a lot more local involvement, uh, without necessarily having some bureaucratic stuff, you know, not that I'm anti IMBA, no, yeah, but it's just going to be great because I think the focus will be on trail building and community and things like that. Um, but you know, besides Comba, please, there are going to be trail organizations around the world. So seek them out. You can literally Google trail group or trail maintenance or something like that. Plus whatever city you're in or plus whatever region or area you're in. And you'll hopefully come up with a, a few lists, you know, a few things in that list that you can kind of reach out to. Strava. So I know Strava has a little bit of a negative connotation sometimes, you know, like 
it's competitive or something like that. I personally use Strava because it's a lot better than that spreadsheet I've used for years where I was tracking my miles that I would put on my bike. <laughs> and the reason I did that was because, not because of me, like, oh, I rode 1,500 miles or 2,500 miles this year, especially when I was a roadie. It was closer to like 3,000 miles in a year. It wasn't anything like that. It was more like, oh, maintenance. <laughs> like, I'm trying to track my maintenance. And I used to do that on an old school spreadsheet. Well, now I just use Strava. And it's great because you can, you know, put in your equipment there. So I have like three different bikes. So I have my three bikes put in there. And um, that way I can actually like, you know, easily, without effort, track how many miles I have on each of those bikes, which is fantastic. But Strava, you can join for free doesn't cost a thing. There are some premium features as well. If you want some like premium interpretation of your training and things like that, which is not necessary, especially when you're starting out. But Strava is great because there are also local bike groups that you can find on there. And sometimes those groups host rides locally that are for beginners, intermediates, advanced, whatever. And I think it's a great resource to safely meet other people. Because uh, again, safety, you know, I don't want you to meet some creepy, creepy ass people. Uh, the other place that you can find folks uh, is meetup.com. I know meetup.com, you know, sometimes people think it's dead. It's not. There are definitely some mountain biking groups that are on there, especially even locally here in Denver. Uh, but it could be a great way for you to find, you know, a group that you get along with. Same thing with Facebook. You know, I know folks have some anti uh, some opinions about social media, but I think social media can be used as a positive. And one of those things is with Facebook or Facebook groups, you know, here in the Denver Metro area, there are a ton of Facebook groups that are offered that do feature, you know, just gravel rides, mountain bike rides, whatever you're looking for. Right. And I know this podcast episode is mostly about mountain biking, so I'll try to keep it, keep it in line with that. But Find some local groups and and just seek them out. Again, in Facebook, you know, do the search for mountain biking and then put in your city or something like that and just see what comes up and then join those groups and see, because it's usually free, but then join those groups and, and kind of see what their their conversations are like. Maybe you don't like their sense of humor. Maybe they're a little aggressive in the comment section, you know, things like that. Uh, because I think sometimes people's online presence can tell you a lot about them. <laughs> And maybe if you're going to jive or not with them. I, I know for me, I I generally will look for people who have a little bit of a sarcastic sense of humor or who are just goofy because that's just how I am when I'm riding. And I really gel with folks who are like that. So I usually find, I try to seek out banter uh, that isn't too mean. <laughs> Let's put it that way when I'm looking for Facebook groups. Um, again, local bike shops can't emphasize these enough, please. Local bike shops or LBSs, they are an amazing resource for finding some other riders or groups too. You know, get to know the mechanics in your area and of course be nice to them. They're going to save your ass here in a little bit, but they are a wealth of knowledge, you know, especially if you're telling, if you tell them, Hey, I'm new, you know, are there any groups that you recommend? And literally it's just like one sentence, ask a question. And sometimes they might know, sometimes they will, um, will have an actual referral. Sometimes they might even have a group themselves at the bike shop. So check them out. Last but not least, local bike groups or teams. You know, whether or not you race or you plan on racing, please know there are also non-race groups as well. And, you know, it's awesome finding a team that you can ride with because many of these people can become your close friends and your riding buddies and people that you, you have a shared experience with, which is so rad. I love it. 
right? So those are the three things there. All right. So we have, um, of course, first things first, you need equipment, you need a bike, a helmet at a minimum. And then there are those other, you know, essential items that are things to consider just for protection and comfort. Second thing is learning skills and how, and just how to manage your bike and how to move your body on top of that bike. All right. And then third is community. Now, of course, in my usual style, I'm going to give you some bonus tips too, because I think it's important for you again, to be comfort, to be comfortable and be fueled on the bike. So first thing I also recommend you do because you're starting off in mountain biking, bring snacks. <laughs> I'm, I'm a snack monster. You know, I'm always going to have snacks and I, and I will generally almost always have extra snacks with me because I've, I've had, it's just a coach. It's a mountain bike coach thing. All right. I've had clients and athletes bonk while on rides or while training with me. And it is not the friendliest thing to witness witness. Okay. And I personally have bonked myself, especially before I, you know, years ago, before I even knew what the hell, like nutrition timing and things like that were and how to eat and all this crap. So I try to, I'm just scarred for life. I have PTSD. So I'm going to include (laughs) snacks in my, my fanny pack. Okay. But bring some snacks. Don't neglect to eat while riding and always plan that you might be out longer than you think. You know, especially if you have a mechanical issue or maybe you get a little lost and you take a right turn too many times, whatever it is, you know, bring some gummy bears, bring some electrolytes or bring some sort of favorite snack bar or treat with you. And if it's heavier in carbs than usual, then great, you know, because carbs are not an enemy of yours while you ride. Please, please embrace that idea. In fact, they're a friendly fueling source for energy. You may also make some friends with the snacks that you have to offer after someone else in your group might be bonking or maybe someone you meet on the trail. They're look they're on the side of the trail and they're looking a little, a little sheepish, a little, a little gray. Ask them if they need a snack. I've, I've lost track of how many snacks I've given away on a, on a trail. Like I literally, and I'm not saying that like, oh, you know, well done, Jen, but I'm telling you because I, I've seen it so often and I hate that it happens to people, you know, and, and I, I just, I know what that feeling is like and I am glad to be able to be a snack monster. All right. For someone, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, another thing is to use some sort of trail app as a guide to prevent you from getting lost. So to the last point, in case you get lost, have some extra snacks, but also I don't want you to get lost. So I do recommend, I really recommend using either Trail Forks or MTB Project. Again, Trail Forks or MTB Project. I use both. I am a member of Trail Forks because I am a member through Outside, which is the Outside Magazine, Outside Plus member, blah, blah, blah. You do get discounts on race entries and things like that and event entries. So sometimes it's beneficial to have an Outside Plus membership, um, but you do also get free access to Trail Forks when you're an Outside Plus member. And then last but certainly not least, the biggest thing you need besides the essential gear and equipment and riding skills and community are for you to be patient. The learning curve can be tough for many when learning a new skill or sport, especially like mountain biking. So please be gentle and patient with yourself. You know, I really, atten- I really uh, can't emphasize attending a clinic enough 
meeting people, riding with people, and to keep practicing those skills regularly. And you'll be amazed at how much better you'll get. But please be patient. This is a new skill. You're doing something that's slightly scary and very scary sometimes. And I think having that patience and being gentle with yourself is so, so, so worth it. And it's it's just so under underappreciated, the importance of being patient, okay? That's all I have for you for today's episode. If you learned something or you like this episode, please share it on social media. Tag me in it at Shift Human Performance. Please subscribe, rate this episode, let me know how you're doing. And also, if you have a topic of interest that you want me to talk about in a future episode, please drop me a line at Shift Human Performance on Instagram. Until next week, have a beautiful week and enjoy getting out on your bikes. Bye.